invite you to turn in your Bibles, yeah, please be seated, to Hebrews chapter 3, working through a series in the book of Hebrews. It's a call to perseverance. Many people believe this is a sermon, an extended uh, message. Uh, The author of Hebrews calls it a word of encouragement as he's wrapping up. He calls it a brief word of encouragement. If you read the whole book, it's about uh, 55 minutes or so. I'm not going to preach that long this morning, but uh, God does have a good word for us to not only uh, call us to perseverance, but actually enable us to persevere in the faith. Let's look to Hebrews chapter 3 verses 1 to 6. is God's holy and inspired and good word. Let's give our attention to it. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him to, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. My good friends through seminary, he uh, gave me a job and enabled me in many ways to get through seminary without debt would say often to me over and over again, the main thing in the Christian life is keeping the main thing the main thing. The main thing that you need to focus on as a believer, Adrian, is to keep your focus on the main person and thing that you are pursuing and following as a Believer, And that is the call throughout the book of Hebrews. The, the danger in the book of Hebrews is cosmic treason, which would be a cosmic tragedy to betray the glory and the riches of who Jesus is for anything else in this life. Uh, chapter 2, the author of Hebrews has said already, let us not drift away. Let us focus more closely. Let's pay closer attention on this final word in Jesus, lest we drift away. And now the author calls us to consider Jesus. Uh, Friday evening, I had the privilege of officiating a wedding, and so I had this uh, illustration kind of bouncing around in my heart and mind throughout yesterday. Imagine a young woman has been uh, proposed to. She has plans to be married. She's been Uh, focusing on her wedding day, and a young man who's godly and uh, loves her deeply has set that date with her. They've planned a location. They have uh, all the the things set and secured, and she's looking forward to it, but there's still six weeks until the wedding day. And a man that she knew previously that hasn't heard about her engagement, hasn't talked to her in a long time, gives her a call. And imagine that he says to her, hey, I want to take you out on a date. And imagine what it would be like for her in that moment to betray everything that she has, all the plans that she has, she's headed toward, and say, sure, I'll go on a date 
with you. Imagine the great, great tragedy that that would be to give up what is secure and trustworthy for what is temporary and passing. But that's the great temptation of us as Christians. We are tempted each day to lose our focus, lose the thing that we are uh, focused on in Jesus and drift away, according to the writer to the Hebrews. This is a lifelong race. The Christian life is not a sprint where you kind of get as much energy as you can and just cross one day and then say, okay, I made it. But it is a lifelong marathon where you are setting your focus, your attention, your affections, your love on Jesus, and you're running after him. You're pursuing the one who has pursued you. There's other voices in the, the book of Hebrews. Uh, some, somehow the, the prophets of old potentially were distracting even the Hebrews as they were being told, look back to the old covenant. Uh, in the first verses of Hebrews, it says, past times the prophets have spoken many times, many ways. Now God has spoken by his son. He's fulfilled what the prophets have said. He is the one to whom the prophets were always pointing. There was some potentially strange heresy or focus and attention on angels that the Hebrews were potentially being distracted by. And uh, the author of Hebrews says, the angels have a full-time job. Their task is to worship Jesus. Let all God's servants worship him. And now he comes to chapter 3 and he says, consider Jesus. I'm going to break this sermon into three sections. The what of our call, consider Jesus. The why of our calling, Jesus greater than Moses. And then the how of our calling, hold fast, boasting in hope. If you're taking notes, there's our outline. The what of our call, consider Jesus. The why of our call, that Jesus is greater than Moses. And then finally, the how of our calling, how uh, to hold fast, boasting in our Hope. So what is our calling then as Christians? Consider Jesus, Hebrews 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Uh, John Piper helpfully points out that this is not a set of non-Christians being preached to evangelistically. It's not someone coming to those who do not know Jesus and being told, hey, this would be a wonderful thing for you to come to Christ for the first time, to put your hope in him and to be anchored in someone that you do not know. But instead, holy brothers, those who have a heavenly calling, consider the one you know. It's not offering something that they don't have yet, but give your whole heart's focus and attention on the glorious Jesus. Delight in him. Give your gaze, your attention to him. This is why the illustration of the fiancé is helpful. Remember the one who's done everything for your wedding day. The day of glory is described as a wedding day when the bridegroom will come and take us as his church and marry us forever and will never be apart from the Lord. But we are not yet to the day of glory and so focus on Jesus. Consider him. This is a main task for us 
as pastors. I appreciate this plaque up here. If you've come up front, you see on the plaque it says, Sir, we would see Jesus. I was at another one of our churches in the Presbytery, Redeemer, in Aden. It says the very same thing. This is what pastors do week after week after week after week. We say, look at Jesus. Consider and admire him. He's like a diamond with a thousand facets. Take in every aspect of his character. Bask in what he's done for you. Delight in the glory, the majesty, the beauty of who Jesus is. We're not here as pastors to tell you something new you've never heard before. We're not here to sell you some strange doctrine that's never been understood in the history of the church. We're here to help you consider Jesus, to look at him, to take him in over and over again, to worship him. That is our task. We're ministers of the gospel. Well, what are we supposed to consider about him? Notice the second half of verse 1, the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Consider Jesus as apostle and high priest of our confession. The New Testament does not call Jesus an apostle anywhere else except for here. But it's a remarkable thing to compare the nature of Jesus as an apostle, as one who has been sent to the other apostles that we know in the New Testament. Think about the difference between Jesus as the apostle and all the 12 apostles that have been set apart. You remember, Jesus gives himself and his message to these men that he appoints as apostles, and then he goes and he says, preach the kingdom of heaven, announce what has happened. And as they see his death and his resurrection, they go as spokesmen, right, on his behalf. An apostle merely is someone who has been sent with a message. Think about the difference, though, of Jesus' apostleship. He doesn't go and come as if he is just a bearer of a message. He is the very message itself. He is the very word of God incarnate. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only one of the Father, full of grace and of truth. The Father spoke out a word and Jesus came and addressed us with all of what the Father gave him to do. He says to his disciples in John 4, it is my very food to do the will of my Father. In John 6, he says, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. He has the humility to say, my word alone is not true if it stands alone, but I testify with the testimony of my Father. And I've come to not just tell you a word about the Father, but to be the very word of God, to be God himself in the flesh. As we heard in Hebrews 1, the radiance of the glory of God and his exact imprint Calvin describes this aspect of who Jesus is as the teaching function. We also see the priestly function named, but Jesus is the great and the final and the last word spoken of the Father. The author of Hebrews is going to explore in much depth what it means next that Jesus is also the high priest of our confession. I won't delve too deeply if you get to hear the the, uh, 
whole epistle of Hebrews. You'll hear wonderful things about Melchizedek. You'll hear wonderful things about the fact that he is the last and final sacrifice once for all. But I want to say in this uh, place, uh, what he's drawing attention to here is that these two things are coupled together. God has sent us his son. He's come as the apostle of the confession, but he's not just told us a way to come to God. He's not just said, this is the way to come to the father. He's also said, I am the way that is opened to you in my flesh, in the once for all sacrifice. I've been torn apart and you come through the priestly and the final intercession of Jesus to the Father. All other religions will tell you, here are some good steps for you to attain moral perfection. Here are the ways that you can enter into nirvana. If you follow all these steps, you might one day attain this divine experience. And Jesus says, my flesh was torn. I don't just teach the way to the Father. I have become the very means by which you can come into a relationship with the eternal God. I have secured that for you. This is the high priestly work of Jesus' great intercession for us. So consider Jesus as the first aspect of our calling. This is the what, that he is the great apostle, the last word of the Father, that he is the high priest that brings us into communion and fellowship with the Father. But then the author doesn't just tell us what to do. He gives us good reasons. He says this is why you need to focus and bask in the glory of who Jesus is. And we're going to see a similarity to Moses and then two contrasts with Moses. This is sort of like an essay where you have to compare and contrast You need to look at something and say, how is it similar? And then how is it different? Notice first how Jesus is similar to Moses. Chapter 3, verse 1 at the end. Just as Moses was faithful in all God's house, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 3, verse 2, he was faithful to him who appointed him, that's Jesus, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. If you're familiar with the Old Testament and the book of Numbers, this is a quotation from Numbers chapter 12, verse 8. You remember the context of that story. Miriam and Aaron come to Moses and they say, Has God only spoken through you? Has he not also spoken through us? And it's a kind of competition with their brother. It's a a spirit of jealousy in opposing the very word that has come from God through Moses. And the way that the Lord speaks to them very seriously is Numbers 12, verse 6. He said, Hear my words, if there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. There's the quotation. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly, not in riddles. He beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak? against my servant Moses. The author of Hebrews is not denigrating Moses in this. He's saying Moses was faithful and unique in the old covenant. He was one unique prophet, different than the other prophets. Very, very great in the old covenant. He saw the form of God. He was addressed mouth to mouth. It's a very intimate and friendly way that the Lord 
spoke with Moses. It's a very serious correction of Aaron and of Miriam to denigrate the servant of God. And the author of Hebrews is saying in the same way that Moses was so faithful in bringing the word, the very word of God, Jesus has been faithful in that way. So focus on him. Consider Jesus because he's a faithful servant, just like Moses was very faithful in all of God's house. But then notice the first contrast. It's a remarkable thing that the author of Hebrews does here. He says he's greater, though, than Moses. He's like Moses, but he is so much greater than Moses. As much greater is he than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. My father-in-law is interested in all kinds of uh, architects and different people who design and build homes. And when I first arrived in uh, Grand Rapids, I heard of this uh, famous uh, house that's been designed and built in the um, uh, kind of east side of Grand Rapids. And uh, we went to visit this, the Meyer May House, and walked around. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. If you have an opportunity to have a free tour there, I really recommend it. And we're admiring the angles. There's wonderful, beautiful, uh, tall windows with light basking and pouring through. You can kind of imagine this old way of living in this beautiful, remarkable home. And we're walking up the stairs and we're asking questions. And the reality, though, is that we're not there to look at the house only. We're not there to enjoy the proportions and the design and the spectacular beauty of the house. But we're amazed by the one who designed it. Frank Lloyd Wright is the architect of the Meyer May house. And the author of Hebrews is saying, if you're impressed with Moses, if you have the certified old covenant given to you and it's trustworthy, don't just look at the house. Consider the one who built the house. Consider the one who made all things. Jesus has already been described this way in Hebrews chapter 1. By the word of his power, he created all things. He holds all things together. And he says, don't be impressed only with Moses. Moses has been eclipsed by the glory of the one who built the house. Moses is like one of the brothers in a household. And the one who holds it all together and who constructed this home is Jesus himself. Focus, consider Jesus because he is greater than the house itself because he made the house. But finally, the third way is that Jesus is the faithful son. He's like Moses being faithful in all God's house. He eclipses Moses and being more glorious than him as much more glorious than the builder of a house is glorious in the house itself. But then notice finally, and I think this is the great capstone of Jesus's greatness. He is the final son. People in the ancient world got a little panicky if they didn't have children, if they had great possessions and a name and a reputation. And so they would seek out someone to adopt into their household, someone that they could give an inheritance to and they could assign as their heir and as their son to take on their name and their reputation and their fame. And the author of Hebrews is saying, if you are tempted with looking only to Moses and only to the old covenant, you will be taken away 
from the one who has accomplished all that, who is the last and the final and the glorious son. Moses was always only a servant in the house. He knew the will of God. He served in the house of God. Jesus has come as the one who owns everything, who is the inheritor of all things. Don't be dissuaded and led away merely by the Old Testament. Look to what the Old Covenant was pointing forward to. And we are called this morning with the very, very same calling. Do not be distracted with anything in this world, amassing possessions, basking in the glory of a Michigan summer and enjoying all of the good things that God has given. Don't pursue sexual pleasures outside of marriage that can dissuade you and distract you. Don't hold on to money in ways that can uh, uh, take you away from the kingdom of heaven. Don't create a name for yourself or a reputation for yourself that's dangerous for you in a way that makes you look away from Jesus. Look past the servant Moses to the son who has inherited all things. You remember the dispute in the book of Corinthians. Some were following Paul. Some were following Apollos. Some were saying, I belong to Cephas, and I'm going to divide this church because I'm following this one leader that I desire to name myself with and kind of align myself with. And Paul cuts through all that, and he says, what a foolish thing to have followed people, to have followed leaders and caused schisms. And he corrects it by saying very simply in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, all things are yours. Heaven itself, the age to come, all things are already yours. Why would you peddle anything away in this creation when you have everything in Jesus already? By faith, dear Christian brother and sister, God certifies to you by faith that everything, the whole new creation, is already yours. Your name has been written on the deed, inheriting all things. Why? Because you are united to this Son. As you are connected to Jesus, everything that's his, the deed of the whole new creation, is already yours by faith. And the author of the book of Hebrews is saying... What a horrible tragedy. What a cosmic tragedy. If you were to set aside heaven and everything that's already yours in Jesus and you were to chase down something that you could have in this world and give your heart to it and it were to lead you away and to betray Jesus himself, what a desperate, sad trade that would be if you were to betray the Son, the one who didn't just serve in the house of the Father, but made the house and is the Son himself, the one who is set to and now is the very inheritor of all things. This is why we should consider Jesus. He is faithful like Moses in all God's house, but he's eclipsed, he's eclipsed the glory of Moses by building the house, and he is the very son of God in the house of God. And he has built a house. Jesus the son is the one who has built us into his home. 
First Peter 2, verses 4 and 5 says, As you come to him, that is Jesus, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God builds you into his house in the new covenant. He says, I will be their God. They will be my people. I will live with them. They, he sends his son to tabernacle with us and enables us to be the very dwelling of the father. And then he sets you on a mission. First Peter 2 verses 9 and 10. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim excellencies. Consider Jesus. Focus on the one who is greater than Moses. And as you are built into his very house, be a resplendent house. Be a house that shines the very glory of the one who's built you. And show the world the majesty of the one who is not a servant in the house of God, but is the very son of the Father. Well, how do we do this then? The what of our calling is to consider Jesus. The why of our calling is that he's greater than Moses. And then finally, how do we do this? We are his house if we hold fast our confidence, boasting in our hope. As I said earlier, the task of ministers is not to show you something you've never heard before, but to hold up Jesus in front of you and for you to worship the Son of God and have your heart so knit to him that nothing will split you away from Jesus. Perseverance comes then, not by discovering something you've never known before, not by hunting for a message that you've never been taught, but setting your eyes on the possession that you have in Jesus already. As I said at the outset, the author has called you a holy brother, a holy sister in the Lord already. You already have a heavenly calling. He's not saying try to find something that you don't have. He's saying treasure, hold fast, cling to the wonder and the glory of Jesus. And this will unlock every prison of doubt and despair. Everything that tempts you to turn away from Christ is overcome by the promise of who Jesus is. The hope is the way that the author puts it in verse 6, boasting and being confident in our hope. And the glorious paradox of the gospel is that while you are persevering, while you are setting your eyes on Jesus, while you're considering the glory of who he is, all throughout your life, he has been holding on to you. If any of us make it, if any of us step into heaven itself and see the very face of Jesus, it's because our older brother was not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters, as the book says in chapter 2. It's because he delighted with the whole company of his people to enter into heaven itself and to carry us there into the glories of eternal paradise. See, dear Christian, you will stumble and fall a million times, many, many times in your life. You'll be dishonest. You'll be walking down roads that you have no idea how you got to. And the Lord Jesus will pursue you there. And the way that he will bring you to heaven is to set himself in front of you and say, hold on to me. 
hold on to me until the very, very end. And whatever despair and whatever hopelessness and difficulty that you face today where you're thinking, I do not know how I can put one foot in front of another, the gospel, the Lord Jesus says, consider me. I've been holding you your whole life. I've been carrying you along. Remember in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, Christian and Hopeful find themselves stuck in giant despair's castle. And they're exploring every option of how to get out of this castle. Planted in the mind of the giant by his wife is the idea that the giant doesn't have to destroy them. He can just plant in their heads and their hearts the idea that they take their own lives. They destroy themselves. And so despair begins its work in the heart of Christian. But then they start to pray through the night on a Saturday night. And then these are the words that they come to as they remember the promise of who God has been for them in Jesus. A little before it was day, good Christian, as one half amazed, broke out in this passionate speech. What a fool am I, thus to lie in a stinking dungeon, when I may well as walk free in liberty. I have my key in my bosom called promise, that will, I am persuaded, open any lock in Doubting Castle. Then said Hopeful, that's good news, good brother. Pluck it out thy bosom and try. And then Christian pulled it out of his bosom and began to try at the dungeon door, whose bolt as he turned the key gave back, and the door flew open with ease, and Christian and Hopeful both came out. Hopeful reminds Christian In the depths of despair, the simple promise of who God has been for you in Jesus is powerful enough to open any prison door and to set you free from any deep despair and agonizing doubt that cripples you in your faith. The author of the book of Hebrews is saying, set your eyes on Jesus Consider the beauty of who he is, the simple promise that every sinner that turns hopeless in themselves to a Savior who's powerful to rescue them will not be turned away, will always be preserved and carried to the very last day. And the darkest, deepest despair that you walk through, God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. If I've given you my son, consider that I will give to you with him all things. And he will get all the glory as he leads us to persevere, as he holds us fast, as he abides with us and never lets go of us. Let's give thanks to God for the gospel. Our Father, we... Thank you for the, the riches and the glory that's found in your Son. Thank you, Christ, that you were faithful as a servant, that you did the opposite of what we're tempted to do, Lord. We would trade heaven away for earthly and temporary pleasures, and you gave up the glory of heaven to come down, to give yourself as a ransom for many, to come to seek and to save, not to be served, but to serve. And Lord Christ, we ask that the beauty of who you are, the nature and the goodness of your character, would so captivate our hearts, Lord, that anything in this creation that would distract us would just fade away as your glory and your light shines in front of our hearts. Lord, forgive us if we are wandering right now, Lord. 
Cleanse us from our sin. Lord, shake off any attachment right now that we love more than you. And we pray that any anxiety or fear or doubt would be conquered with the simple key of your promise as you unlock us from the dungeon of despair, Lord. And please glorify yourself, Father, as we bask in and take in and consider the main thing in our Christian lives, Lord, to cling to the good Savior that has loved us and freed us, our elder brother, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.